often in life we think we've got a handle on things, um, you know, solutions to the problems and answers to the questions. I want to discover that we just missed it by just maybe that much. I'll give you an illustration. There's a story of a, a young boy who dies and he stand, he's standing at the gates of heaven. And uh, as the stories usually go, it's St. Peter who's stuck guarding the gate. And I don't know if that's because he's getting paid back for all the times that he doubted Jesus or what, but he's always the one guarding the gate. Anyway, Peter's standing at the gate, and he says uh, to the little boy, he says, hey, uh, you know, before I can let you in, you have to answer uh, three questions. The little boy kind of has fear in his eyes, and he said, oh, okay. He goes, okay, well, the first question is, uh, name the days of the week that begin with the letter T. The little boy said, that's easy. Today and tomorrow. <laughs> Peter said, well, that's not quite what I had in mind, but I can see how you thought that. So, okay, here's the second question. This one's a little harder. He says, how many seconds are there in a year? The little boy goes, that's easy too. There's 12. Peter says, 12? He goes, yeah. January 2nd, February 2nd, <laughs> March. He goes, all right, all right, all right. I, I can understand how you saw that too. But let me, here's the third question. He goes, can you tell me the name of God's son? And the little boy goes, well, that's easy, too. He goes, well, what is it? He says, it's Andy. Peter says, Andy? I, I'm sorry, but it isn't Andy. And the boy says, yes, it is Andy. He goes, well, why do you think that? He goes, oh, because Andy walks with me, and Andy talks with me, and he calls me his own. So there you go. Well, you know, you say, now, what's the point of all that? Well, basically, just to wake you up. Um, I, I, you know, I'm just finally just going to tell the truth. That's just all that there is to it. No, sometimes we think we have the answer. Sometimes we think we, we, we know what we're doing. And we find that we just missed it by just a little bit. And uh, the same is true when it comes to finances and the problem of financial debt. So today what I want to do is I want to uh, pick back up where we left off and take a look at the road to debt. The road to financial debt. And the reason that I think we need to do this is because for many of us, we don't really know or understand how we end up down the road that we just traveled. I'm sitting on an airplane, and I'm trying to find something to occupy the time. And then I thought of a story, though, too. I just want to share this with you for, for those of you who maybe don't like to fly that much. There's a story of a, a little girl who's on the plane, and she's crying because she's afraid to fly. And her dad tried everything. You know, look out the window. Nah, that's not a good idea. You know, look over here, do this, whatever. And, and uh, finally says, why are you afraid to fly? And she said, I'm just afraid something might happen to me. And her, and her dad looked at her and said, yeah, but you know, but, but Jesus is with you everywhere you go. Jesus is up here in the airplane with you. So you don't have anything to fear. And she looked and she thought and she said, but daddy... Jesus isn't up, up here with us, way up here high. And, and, and he said, yes, she is. She said, no, Daddy, the Bible says that, he said, lo, I'm with you always. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, I'm on, the, I'm on a plane, and I'm thinking of things like that. And, um, and uh, so I, I look, and I turn, and there's a magazine there. It's the Ladies Home Journal. Okay, now, I, so I, there's an article that catches my attention. And the article is entitled, Life After Debt. Thought it was good. And I just want to explain to you, I was on an airplane, that's why I was reading the Ladies Home Journal. So I want to let you know, not that there's anything wrong with Ladies Home Journal, I just want you to know, but you know, I usually read more manly things, you know, <laughs> just want to let you know. 
So anyway, I'm reading Ladies Home Journal, and uh, the, the article is Life After Debt, and the article was about a couple who had at one time juggled 33 credit cards and eventually piled up credit card debt that peaked at $53,000. And uh, they had a, a monthly income of $3,000. The article went on to say this, though the figure may seem astronomical, more and more Americans are falling into the revolving credit trap. Today, the average American family has four credit cards with the average balance of more than $4,680. Quick survey, how many of you have at least one credit card? Keep your hand up if you have two credit cards. Three credit cards, four credit cards, five or more credit cards. Okay? So we can all kind of relate to this to some degree. Is everybody else's hand still up? I don't know. See, what's bad is when you sit up in the front, you don't know what's going on behind you. Everybody was going like this. Did you see that? I just looking right up here. Now the question is, as we consider this, what's the problem? Most of us would say credit. Credit's the problem. And I would say, no, it's not. Credit's not the problem any more than money's the problem. Because credit is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. You know, money is neither good nor bad. It's what we do with it or how we get it that really is the issue at hand. So when you're thinking about credit, many of us want to say, well, just credit is the problem. Now, credit may be the problem because it's the misuse of credit that is the problem. And that's what we need to realize and we need to understand. And I'm concerned that, that credit or, or trouble with debt is always and only a symptom of an underlying problem. Credit is always and only credit debt or problem debt is always and only a symptom of a greater problem. And so what I want to do as we consider how we're going to get out of the situation that we sometimes find ourselves in, we need to consider how we got there to begin with so we can look at the road or the path that leads to credit debt, or in this case, trouble debt or problem debt, and we'll take a look at it. Now, there's four, four causes or common causes of problem debt that we're going to take a look at. Four common causes of pro problem debt. And we'll go through them. Now, now some of these may overlap. Uh, what I have discovered is that these four common causes are something that all of us are subject to. I don't care how much money you make or how little you make. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your religious affiliation is. I don't care whether you're Christian or non-Christian. It really doesn't seem to make much difference in this particular area because these are four common causes of problem debt or the, or the road that leads to debt. The first one is this, a lack of discipline. A lack of discipline. Now, most people who are squeezed by consumer debt are there because of a lack of self-discipline. Now, I know that's a blunt statement. It's a simple statement, but it's also a true statement. Most people who are in trouble with debt are there simply because they lack discipline. Now, to illustrate that, let me give you kind of a hypothetical situation to see if, this, if, if you can see this or if this makes any sense. This is a, a hypothetical situation that is going to be really hard to see, but kind of bear with me for a second. And it's real hypothetical if you can't see it. But let, let me kind of go through this with you a little bit and, and uh, take it a, a step at a time. What, what I try to do is, is give a, a graph or a chart that shows a hypothetical situation of a family. Let's just say that there's a husband and wife, they're married, and in the first year, they begin slowly to spend more than they make. The first year, they make $20,000, but they spend $21,000, so they end up $1,000 in debt in the first year. 
Okay? Now, their total debt's only $1,000, but their total debt repayment is only $100 because all that they're paying on this particular debt as a hypothetical situation is 10%. So what they do is they pay this debt back at a rate of just the interest per year for that particular year, and that debt repayment is only one half of 1% of their total income. But they continue to do it over a period of time. So the, the second year, we see that the same thing happens. Even though they have a, a, a raise or a raise in their income of $1,000, they still overspend by $1,000. They're still only paying 10% as far as the interest cost of the overborrowing that they have. And so now they're $2,000 in debt, and their debt payment is only $200. You can see that slowly they're getting themselves into trouble because now it's almost 1% of their income. Year five, all of a sudden, they're up to 2% of their income is just going back to repaying debt, even though they continually get raises. Because, see, what most of us believe, and I hear this often, is that, you know, my problem isn't how much we spend. The problem is that we just don't make enough. So th this is showing that even if you start to make more money, if you continue to overspend at the rate that they're overspending, they continually get deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And so by the fifth year that goes by, now they're $5,000 in debt. The debt repayment's only $500. And, you know, simple math, someone would say, but you know what, though, but that's only $50 a month. Well, actually, $45 a month. And they're just paying the interest payments. But see, they're never touching the principal. And so the principal continues to mount. And the reason I want you to see this in a, in a visual form to some degree is that we'll see that as this negatively affects us, the opposite will positively positively impact us. And we'll see that as we look at how to get out of debt. This is just showing us how we get into it. So by the 20th year, they're, they're now $20,000 in debt. Their repayment is $2,000 a year, but that just has to do with interest payments only, and it's 5% of their income, and by now they're just as frustrated as can be, and they can't figure out what's going on. They've been married 20 years. Now they've got children that are almost nearing college age. They need money for college and other major expenses, and they don't have any. And they can't figure out what's going on, and they get frustrated by all of it. And what happens, to, is that, I, that I believe that happens, is that, you know what, there may be nothing that's going on here that was any major decision on their part that would have stood out and said, you know what, this was the cause of our problem. Because all that they were doing was overspending by $1,000 a year. And it was only raising, quote, their monthly nut that they had to crack by only maybe, you know, 30 or $40. But as it gradually, and as the illustration, since, since you have, Armin, some of the people that you train here, and your personal trainer, the illustration that I like to use is that, you know what, it's like a person who gains one pound per month. And they don't sit down and they don't stuff their face every day, but somehow along their lifestyle is just packing an extra pound on their body per month. So another month goes by, another month goes by, 12 months goes by, they're 12 pounds heavier than they were the year before. Two, three, four years into the marriage, no, I'm just kidding, uh, two, three, four years later, you know, there's 36 to 48 more pounds on. And you're sitting there going, ah, how did this happen? Well, here's how it happened. It happened one pound per month. Here's how it happened. It happened one meal per day. It happened in, in a slow, subtle way. Nobody eats a whole cow and gains 40 pounds, in, you know, overnight. You know, they do it piece by piece. So what I'm trying to get across is, is that, you know what, this couple, as they look at the problem they're in, they don't even begin to realize how this happened to them. And what the way that it happened to them is, is that they lack discipline. Now, nobody likes to hear that. But the reality is, is that's the truth. It's a lack of discipline. Now, I don't know anybody who's disciplined enough to overspend their income just $1,000 per month. 
And I don't know anybody who's only paying 10% interest that's not paying 18 to 21% interest. So if this is based on 10%, can you imagine the accelerated pace at which someone gets into trouble if they're paying 18% interest and they're overspending their income more than $1,000 a year? There's a real problem there. In fact, let me go down and take a look at it. This, this may seem bad, but it's not even as bad. The couple that I mentioned that was juggling 33 credit cards and had $53,000 in damage, let me just read you a little subtle approach here. It says, although Leanne and Robert went to the same high school, they came from vastly different economic backgrounds. She was the third child in a family of four. She, quote, we weren't rich, but we always had nice things. She got her first credit card, quote, for emergencies only as a sophomore in high school. In college, she took out a small student loan. She charged books and other expenses. Soon she had accumulated six credit cards and had run up bills of $5,000. In contrast, Robert, money was short in Robert's family, the youngest of nine kids. I don't remember my parents ever having a credit card. After high school, he attended college for a year, then trained in, in, a, in a company, the business that he was in. In 1986, he took a job as a technician, made $20,000 a year. It seemed like a lot. He took out a loan to buy an $8,500 truck, began applying for credit cards to build up his credit rating, and then asked Leanne to marry him. This is 1986. Unable to pay the full cost of their $10,000 wedding, what did the couple do? They put about $4,500 of it on their credit card. So that they began this married life with huge dreams and ended up with huge debts. So they were, and they were seduced by the lore of becoming entrepreneurs. They went to try to start a business. They did you know, one thing after the other. And all of a sudden, there were $6,000 on their credit card bills. They went out and they bought a house. They borrowed it for that. They borrowed money from their parents, blah, 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 blah. And by the time it's all over, it was a series of one decision after another. Nothing major, nothing big, but just slowly but surely, they got themselves into trouble. And the way that they did it was they lacked discipline. They lacked discipline. And what happens is now when you find that you're in trouble, and I, I'm just going to flash this up here real quick because we'll concentrate more on it. But now, let's say in, the, in, the, in that year, the 20th year, 21st year, they decide, you know what, we want to get out of debt. So now what they've got to do is they've got, now they're already they're making 40000 They started making 20000 but they're still eighteen dollars or $20,000 in debt. And now they've got to cut their expenses by almost $4,000 a month just to be able to use that extra money to repay their debt. And their debt repayment is almost 10% of their income. And you can see how difficult it's going to be for them because it's going to require what? A lifestyle change. Lifestyle change. Nobody likes that. Give you an illustration. Uh, we're in a business where uh, one of our suppliers told me a story of, a, of a, another contracting uh, company that they went out to meet with, and, and um, basically this, co this company was $350,000 indebted to this supplier, this equipment supplier. And, and the equipment companies have these little spiffs that they, they give out, like trips and things like that, and that's where we've gotten to take a lot of trips and, and, and to enjoy the advantages of doing business with a certain company. Well, they accrue a certain amount of money that, that you purchase from them, it goes into an accrual account that they use to send people on these incentive trips, they call them. So anyway, this particular company is indebted to this supplier for $350,000. They've accrued so much money, $12,000, that was to be used for these incentive trips. So the principals of the supplier go and meet with the guy and say, look, you know what, we don't do this for anybody, and we know they don't because we've asked them to do it, and that is, you know what, we don't want to go on your trips. We would just rather take that money that you've accrued in account and apply it as a material credit toward the bill that we owe you because we just will do our own trips. We don't want to go with you. 
they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't take that very kindly because they, the people, the principals of those companies that have the incentive trips, really want everyone else to go because that's how they justify going on the trips. So when you say, look, I don't really want to go because it's an inflated value anyway, just give us the credit and we'll just do that and we'll do our own thing. They look at you like, no, we're not going to do it. But anyway, they go out to this guy and he's, they, they tell him, they say, look, you owe us $350,000. We will, in your case, credit that full $12,000 to the $350,000 balance that you owe us. Wow. You know what the guy says? No. We're going on the trips. Now, the guy sitting there, and, he's, and the, 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 uh, the principal of the company he owes all the money to, finally gets blunt with him. He says, look, you're going to take the $12,000 credit. You're not going on a trip because, personally, I don't want to sit and watch you enjoy yourself at my expense. That'd be like somebody that you owe money to going on vacation with, or, or they, you know, you owe them money and they say, you know, come to vacation with us. I wouldn't go. You might not get back <laughs> if you don't plan on paying them. But the guy says, no, we're going on a trip. Can you imagine? Now, what happens is they've got accustomed to a certain lifestyle. So the conversation goes a little further. He says, look, you're not going on a trip. We're just going to deduct it from what you are. And now, since we own more of your company than you do, we're going to sit down and help you manage it a little better. This way it's going to work. You've just lost a salesman. You were paying him fifty dollars or $60,000 a year. Uh, what we would like you to do is we want you to work in his place and become productive in your company once again. Now, that was a really unreasonable request. You know, what the, you know what the guy says? No. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I'm tired of doing this. Can you imagine? You owe somebody $350,000. They're trying to help you resolve your problem, and you say, no, we're going on the trip, and no, I'm not going to work. Finally, it got a little more heated and said, you're going to do what we tell you to do, or we're just going to close you down and take everything that you own. Think about it. We'll call you on Monday. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, what happens is, is that when you're sitting there going, now I have to deduct $4,000 of expenses that we're used to expending to be able to repay the debt, and on top of all that, not accumulate any more debt. How difficult that is? Why? Because it's a simple matter of discipline. It's a lifestyle. It's a lack of discipline. We need to understand something as far as God is concerned. God demands us to be disciplined. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. This is not an option. Being self-disciplined means making the right decisions consistently. That's what it means. Did you hear that? Self-discipline. It means making the right decisions consistently. All too often we hear people say, but I've been doing the right thing oh, for so long, so long, so long, so long. I'm just tired of doing the right thing. That's why I did what I did. Yeah, and that's why you're in the trouble that you're in. Do you understand that being self-disciplined means making the right decisions consistently? 
time and time and time again, when confronted with choices, you make the right decision. Galatians 5, look at verse 22. But see, but the fruit of the Spirit, contrasting a person who has no discipline versus a person who does, says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, what? Self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have, have been crucified. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The interesting thing and the exciting thing is I look at this whole matter of discipline. In fact, flip ahead to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, look at verses one, verse 7 in chapter 1. See, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. The ability, the power to say no to doing the wrong things. The ability, the power to be able to say no, period. The ability, the power, the strength to be able to say no when confronted with decisions that are wrong before God. God says, say no, and I'll supply the power. I like that. That's a lot easier than you telling your kids, just say no. But you know what the problem is? You can tell your kids just say no, but you can't give them the strength or the power to say no when they're in a situation where you're not there. God says, say no, and I'll give you the strength to be able to say no. I like that. Say no. Why? Because you have the strength to say no. I'll give you the ability to say no. I'll give you the power to say no. I haven't given you a, a, a spirit of timidity, of fear, of being afraid to say no in the group, of being afraid to say no when it comes to violating God's principles. I've given you a spirit of power. Say no. Because you can. We need to recognize and understand that verse 3 of chapter 3, the same thing. It says that, you know, contrasting those who know the Lord and those who don't, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come and men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. Isn't that the world we live in? The world we live in has no self-control. The world we live in doesn't know how to say No. The world we're living in, you tell someone just say no, they look at you like you're nuts. I had a guy this past week that his, he was going out of town for the weekend. His son, who's a senior in high school, came to him and said, Hey, Dad, while you're gone, do you mind if we have a party here this weekend? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, I, was just, I wanted to ask you ahead of time, is it okay if we bring a keg over and have a party? So what do you tell him? Well, you know, it's so hard to tell him no. So hard to tell them no? Is this the kind of world that we live in? Tell them no for here. Let me tell you, what's harder to tell them no? First of all, it's illegal. No. Second of all, if something happens, how would you like to go to the parents of someone that you just killed in a car accident because you were drunk and stupid? What do you think is harder, to tell your kid no to do the right thing or to tell somebody and go to them and explain to them how sorry you are that you killed someone because you're in a drunk driving accident? How sorry you are because your kid's in jail and now is a, j- a criminal record? How so- what's, what's easier to say? It's easier to say no up front, isn't it? Thank you. You know, that's a man, that, sometimes timing is everything, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. It's easier to say no because it's wrong than have to explain all the reasons that all these things happen to people around you. 
What do you think those people could tell a high school are saying to all the parents of the kids that were killed when they supplied all the beer and they knew they were going out in a party and they rolled a Suburban over and killed three of their teammates? You know, what's easier to do? Sit in court and listen to that? Sit in court and see the brokenheartedness? Sit in court and see all the pain and the suffering? Go to the funerals and listen to everybody cry? What's easier? The guy looked at me like, man, you know, but it's still hard because, you know, kids are kids. Boys will be boys. Yeah? And parents will be idiots sometimes. Get in line. What's wrong with us? You understand? It's, it's, what is it? It's a lack of self-discipline. That's all that it is. We need to recognize that. We need to understand that. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Luke 2.52. And it talks about the life of Christ. And it says, And Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and stature, and he gained favor in the sight of both God and man. What a balanced statement of, of what life's all about. And Jesus continued to increase in wisdom and in stature and gain favor in the sight of both God and man. And you know, when I look at that and you break that down and say, hey, what, is it, what does it take to increase in wisdom? Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. How do we acquire knowledge? It means we're disciplined and we study and we learn. Don't raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you a question to make a point. When was the last time that you challenge yourself intellectually. When was the last time that you read a book? When was the last time that you watched a documentary? When was the last time that you challenged yourself intellectually? And you know what? I'll, I'll give you the answer if you haven't done it. It's not because you're, you're too busy. It's because you lack discipline. Intellectually, gained in wisdom and in stature. Stature, physically. He grew physically. Let me ask you a question. What do you do physically to challenge yourself? What kind of exercise program are you on? What kind of dietary program are you on? Do you watch what you eat? Do you exercise? See, some of us can't walk to the front door anymore. And it's not because we swallowed a whole cow last night. It's because for a long period of time, we have slowly become apathetic and indifferent to maintaining our physical condition. And I'm not saying worship. I'm not saying go from one extreme to the other as we typically do, where we're going to worship our bodies. Hey, these things are falling apart, and as hard as I try to keep it together, it's falling apart, and God reminds me of that every time I go out for a run. It's like you ain't who you used to be. No, but I ain't who I'm going to be either. Hallelujah. You know? But the point of the matter is this. Why don't we do it? We lack discipline. Gain favor in the sight of God. Wow. When was the last time you... You know, we talk about things like, you know, Christian circles, they talk about quiet time and things like that. But really what that means is, when was the last time, or what kind of program are you on, where you spend some time alone and develop your relationship with God? Can, can I just make something perfectly clear? One hour a week at church, whether it's here or in a main service or whatever, isn't going to do it. You got it? It's a lifestyle, folks. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, developing your relationship with God. 
when nobody else is looking and you're not putting on a show for anybody and you're all alone in the privacy of your home or out in your backyard or taking a walk or taking a run or whatever you do where you can just spend time with them and you can talk to them and you can pray and you can sit and you can read your Bible or you can read some books that talk about spiritual growth and development. I mean, maybe you can challenge yourself intellectually and spiritually all at the same time. But the point is this. Why don't we do it? Because we lack discipline. Gain the favor of God and man. Socially. How many times have you said this? You know, we really need to have them over for dinner. Man, I'll tell you what. We're as guilty as anybody. And I'll tell you, I'm just as convicted as everybody else sitting here right now. And that is that, you know, but we're so busy. Yeah, you know, but you know what happens? When you're that busy that your schedule runs your life, then you're not the one in control of your schedule. And that's a lack of discipline. Gain in favor of both the sight of God and man. Socially, hey, we need to spend time with these people. That's one thing that's great about the small groups. It forces us to spend time together and to be together and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but, but continuing to encourage each other as we see the day dawning where Jesus Christ will come back. See, Jesus' life was a balanced life. And that insight into his life should help us understand that, you know what, the biggest problem that most of us have in life is that we simply lack discipline. And that's why we get into financial trouble that we're in. And we need to recognize that and understand that. But if that's not enough, we can go even further. Because, you know, there's, there's more to it than just a lack of discipline. Look at number two. Lack of discipline is a problem, but how about a lack of contentment? Now, we went into great details and we talked all about it, but for this purposes today, a lack of discipline can be caused by a lack of contentment. It really can. That could be creating the problem. Lack of discipline can be caused by lack of contentment. We need to see that. We need to realize it. We need to understand it. Hebrews 13.5, we read this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, neither will I forsake you. Hebrews 13.5. Be content. Many things cause contentment. We've talked about it. You know, a lot of things do, and we'll talk about it next week when we get together, specific things that do in the area of advertising illusions. But the point of the matter is, is that many of us lack contentment, and we need to understand and learn it. Remember Philippians chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, look at that real quick. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, where Paul said, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering. And he concludes it by saying, it's because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Saying, hey, you know what? I've learned. But the point is, he had to learn it. Which requires what? Intellectual stimulation. You've got to learn it. It didn't come automatically. Listen to me. You will never become automatically content in your life. You have to learn the secret of contentment, which is that, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that my relationship with Him surpasses every other earthly situation, that if I have a lot of things, then great, I can learn to be content with prosperity. If I have nothing earthly, I can learn to be content with, with, with a lack of, of physical uh, material goods. It doesn't make any difference because I've learned the secret of being content. Also, there's a search for security. 
Many people get into financial problem debt because they're looking for security. They're looking for that comfort. They're looking to, to know that everything's going to be okay. Hebrews 13.5, the end of that verse says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see, that's God speaking. The little girl in the airplane was looking for security, and she was trying to find it in other ways. But God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And we need to recognize that, and we need to understand it. And it's important to see that, you know what, it's that sense of security that all of us are looking for. It's that sense of significance. Listen to me. The amount of money in, in your bank account, the job that you have, the title that you have, the car that you drive, anything earthly that you're putting your faith and trust in for security isn't going to do it. It just isn't going to do it. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Turn back there real quick. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Look, it says, acquire wisdom. Oh, wrong verse. Hang on. 23, 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. Just like that, it could be gone. You know, and God has a way of reminding us of that. You know, there's jokes around the country that the four seasons in California are um, fire, winds, floods, and mudslides. Uh, You know, that's our four seasons. And maybe that's true, but you know what's, what's exciting about that is God has a way of reminding us that, you know what, earthly things will pass away. Whether it's a fire here in Lemon Heights or a fire in Malibu or a fire down in San Diego, whether it's a tornado in the Midwest, whether it's a hurricane in Florida, whether it's a volcano in Hawaii, whether it's an earthquake any part of the world, God has a way of reminding us that earthly things will pass away. And if we're going to put our trust in anything, we better put our trust in God. Put our trust in God. Don't put your trust in a government system. Don't put your trust in a retirement program. Don't put your trust in your 401k or the Social Security Administration. Don't put your trust in the Medicare system. Don't put your trust in your employer. Don't put your trust in their bank account. Don't put your trust in your husband or wife's ability to earn a living. Don't put your trust in anyone but God. Period. End of conversation. Billy Grant, in an October 20th, 1996 interview in Parade Magazine, said this. One of the most, well, this is what they say about him, and then here's what he has to say. One of the most significant things Graham did early on was to put himself on a salary and abolish, quote, love offerings. He says that donations made during it, which are donations made during at the end of services. We gave up these offerings. Many evangelists were upset because we did them, but we thought it, they thought it would be bad for them. Graham has taken care to manage his organization scrupulously. His salary is set as the equivalent of a pastor of a large church. Since 1992, he's earned about $135,000, including a housing allowance. Until then, his annual salary was $69,000 for 15 years. But since 1950, Graham has accepted no speaking fees or honoraria and has given away the royalties on 15 of the 17 books that he has written. Graham said one of his greatest concerns today for our culture is rampant greed. He says, we have, to, we have to overcome it. Greed causes a great deal of harm. When World War II was over, America was dominant. We could have been frighteningly, frighteningly greedy, but we turned, to help to, we turned to give help to Europe at great personal cost to ourselves. But over the years, materialism became rampant, dominant, almost a god in North America and Europe. 
Our hearts aren't satisfied by materialism. They cannot be. That's why you see someone who has made millions driven on to make millions more. People confuse amassing money with security, but it is not so. What a pity to confuse real security with making money. Wow. Real security, what is it? The couple that I mentioned that had $53,000 in credit card debt, when all their credit cards were taken away from them as a process to get them out of debt, the gal said this, I felt a real sense of loss. I felt a real sense of loss of security. My credit cards gave me that feeling of security. Wow. See, if we come to realize that we are secure in Christ, we won't have to look for security any other way. We won't set ourselves up to get in trouble searching for security in anyone or anything other than the Lord Himself. And the last thing is this, and that is there's a drive for significance. A drive for significance. You know what that means? It, it, it means it's a drive so that I feel worthwhile. It's a drive that makes me want other people to recognize me. It's a drive that many men fall into and get in themselves all kind of trouble, whether it's through you know, big business deals or sexual conquests. It's a drive that says, hey, look at me, I'm still worthwhile. That search for significance. I'm significant. I matter to somebody. Many get in trouble because of that. Many get into financial trouble because of that. You know, they'll roll the dice and they'll lose everything financially because they want to feel significant. They want everybody to look at their business as being one of the biggest businesses in the industry that employs the most people so that they have a sense of significance. I'm somebody. And they'll sell their soul to the devil to do it. For many who have loved money have wandered even from the faith and have, have inflicted themselves with many great pains. Just because I want to be significant. You know, and, and, and just so you understand something, you know, I've seen, I've seen men who have retired who do not feel significant anymore because they don't have all the people that work for them and all the people that came to them and all the people that recognized them as being, you know, they, they needed that person. And, and they'll sell, I, I know why, he'll sit, sold his business and he made a fortune. Never had to work again for the rest of his life, could do anything that he wanted to do. But there wasn't a feeling of significance anymore. And sure enough, he took everything that he had and he started up a new business venture. And the business was doing well, so he took everything that he had there and he bought speculative real estate and he bought property all over the place. And then it all took a nosedive and he lost everything and he was going around trying to borrow money to try to get something going again. Why? Because he has this drive for significance. He wanted to be recognized. He wanted the people to know who he was. All of us to some degree have that. And it's just not men that have that. Women have that problem too. I read a heartbreaking story that I want to share with you as we close this morning. That just, it just breaks my heart. Because all of us are subject to this. Whether it's a man or a woman or a young person are subject to this. Listen to the story. Telephone clubs in which teens call men and decide whether to meet are target of public wrath. Dateline Tokyo, Japan. Like many Japanese schoolgirls, Megumi, age 16, covets Louis Vuitton bags. Chanel perfume and other designer goods. And she's found a fast way to acquire them. You know how she does it? Through sex with men at least three times her age. The illicit, the illicit trysts leave her open to blackmail, crank calls, sexually transmitted diseases. Yet she says they also bring a titillating break from boring schoolwork and at up to $1,000 per liaison enable her to buy whatever goods she needs to ensure her peer status. Girls in my school tend to get split into two groups, those who have such things and those who do not, she explains matter-of-factly. If you have the brand name things, you're important, 
if you have the brand name things, you're significant. You see that? In the last few years, the number of clubs has rocketed to more than 2,200 across the country. And a recent national PTA survey indicated as many as 25% of high school girls surveyed had called that phone line at least once. One out of four girls in Japan, high school students, because they want what? They want to feel significant. And, and, and there's, there's a need to feel significant. I'll give you an illustration. When we were doing the deal with the Rams and we were working with the Rams, at the end of the games we would wait outside the, the, the locker room area. And, uh, and a bunch of us would get together that were in our Bible study and we'd go to dinner and we'd just go and do some things, right? So as all the people were coming out, you know, we knew probably everybody on the team. Not everybody came to the Bible study, but we knew everybody and we would try to develop a relationship with everyone. But we had, you know, a good solid nucleus of people that we developed a real close relationship with. Well, as, these, as they would come out, you know, they'd come over and give you a hug or, you know, high five or whatever, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, we just said, okay, but off the field, there's no, there's no patting the rear end, okay? We just, anything else but that. You do that, but don't do it outside here, all right? So, anyway, we got that, we got the ground real straight, not right away. So, anyway, so they would come out, and they'd do that, you know? And, 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 and we're in an area that was roped off, so the rest of the, of the spectators couldn't do that. They couldn't come there, and they would look across, and they would try to figure out who, what player is, and most of the time they didn't even know, and they'd just run up and say, autograph this or whatever. You know, and I had people, I had one, one particular situation where a guy came up to me and said, hey, man, who are you? And I was like, what do you mean, who are, who are you? And I knew what he meant. I was like, you must be one of them because you're with them. So who are you? And I'm sitting there, and at that point, you know, the, the, ten, the, the tendency is to not feel very significant. Um, no one. <laughs> and, and I said that. I said, no, I'm no one. And the guy goes, oh, man, yes, you are, man. Who are you? And then I'm going, well, you know, well, actually... My name's Chuck. <laughs> you know, some people used to, when they were upset with me, call me Charles. And, no, now that I thought about it, I'm Prince Charles. <laughs> and you're looking at what? Well, because I figured it all out. See, because I'm the son of a king. I'm a prince. I'm Prince Charles. And I'm a lot better looking than the other guy. That was cheap, but thank you anyway. Uh, but I'm Prince Charles. Why? Because you know what? Why would anyone feel insignificant if they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? For as many as received Him, speaking of Christ, to, to that person, God has given a right to be called a, a child of God to those who believe in His name. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm not just a football player. I'm the son of a king. And the world is in awe of royalty. Isn't it? You, you, there has to be. There is no other explanation for following what goes on over in England every day of the week. What is the queen saying about princess die? The ex-princess die. The not-so-significant die. What is the world saying? See, the world is in, in awe of royalty. I did a, a, a football chapel not too long ago, and the, one of the coaches there said, Hey, my son, my son is getting married 
into the royal family of the Philippines. He's marrying a girl who's a princess. And he was like, they're going to have a royal wedding. And I start to think, you know what? But every time one of God's kids get married, it's a royal wedding. Without the price tag. <laughs> but stop and think about this. Would you, and just in closing, think about this for a moment. A search for significance? How much more significant can one feel or one be to know that Jesus Christ died for you? To know that when you accepted Him and believed in Him, and thank God we don't have to answer three questions to get into heaven. The only thing we need to do to get into heaven is believe on His name. To believe what God says about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Can I challenge you to understand if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've, put, and you, you've believed on Him, the Bible says you become a child of God to those who believe in His name. That you couldn't ever be any more significant than you are because of who you're related to. And it doesn't matter what car you drive. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter how big your pension program is. None of that matters. It pales in significance to the fact that you are a child of God because you believed in His name. Man, that's good stuff. And you know what? When you understand and recognize that, it'll keep you out of problem debt. Because you don't have to sell your body. You don't have to sell your soul. You don't have to play the game. Because you know what? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never fail. And the only thing that matters is the Word of God will live forever in the souls of people. And ain't no money going with nobody. Ain't no things going with anybody. The only thing that goes where you're going to go is the significance that God has given you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Folks, if you've never done that, then you need to get it right. Because you'll never feel significant any other way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. God, I just pray for those who have been kind of trying to feel their way through all this, looking for significance, looking for security, that they would understand that it only comes in a right relationship with you. God, we just thank you that it's as easy as, as you say that it is. For you so loved this world that you gave us your only begotten Son, that whoever would simply believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And God, we're grateful that that life begins the moment that we receive Christ. That life begins the moment we believe in Him. That life begins the moment we believe in Him and You give us Your Spirit to live within us. And it's a spirit not of timidity and fear, but of power and might and discipline. God, we're just thankful that when You say that we can say no, not only do You tell us to say no, but You empower us to say no. God, I just pray that each of us will become more disciplined in our life that each of us would sense that, you know what, godliness is the greatest form of contentment. That we can learn to be content knowing that you are in charge. God, I just pray that each of us would understand that our security is in you and you alone, and we couldn't become any more significant than what we have already are. Because, as you tell us, we've been bought with a price. So now go out and glorify God in our earthly bodies. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.